0: Life is too short for shit books. That's the mantra for this podcast and The Book Alchemist is purely about brilliant books. I'm Heather Sutter, your host, and our guests, some of which are famous, others infamous, have one thing in common. They know a good book when they read it. Or in some cases, they've written it. Dr Gillian Sheriffs is an avid reader and an author. She's called Florida, Wisconsin, France and Austria home. Her career spans HR and teaching before returning to the University of Glasgow to complete a doctorate in creative writing. After a devastating diagnosis of MS in 2007 and later a breast cancer diagnosis in 2021, she relied heavily on books to aid her recovery. She then decided to write a book. Her debut novel, Brody, is a love letter to Muriel Spark, and it's gorgeous. And with all proceeds going to Beats and Cancer Charity, this is one special book by one very inspiring woman. So, what has made you call home in all these different places? Has it been your career,
1: your husband's? It's been a mix, so it was um we both ended up in the States um, and got married after both moving there with our jobs, but we're both Scottish. I think it's the people that you meet. Mm -hmm. And the most recent experience I've had is Wisconsin, and we just met some amazing people. And the community there was brilliant, and it reminded me of growing up in a small community in Scotland. It was the same community feeling, people looking out for one another. So I think it's, so we've met people all in every place that we've been, and... Yeah, made a lot of really good friends. And I think that's what's important. And also finding things um, like the local library Mm -hmm. in whichever city or town or country you're in. And there's the same sense of books and community that you might have in Lennox Town or in Glasgow. So I think that's important.
0: Fabulous. Now, you studied English language with literature at the University of Glasgow. How has what you've done led you to become a published author
1: i've always loved books so books were my friends as a child mm-hmm. i lived out in the wilds beneath see the campsy hills Point it wild. felt like the wilds <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of climbing up the hills and doing not much else and um, but yeah books right from a very early age that's those were my worlds and um, Yeah, so I think that it made sense for me to study English at university because I just wanted to read more books. And my goodness, I read more books by studying English at university. (laughs) Um, And I think it's just stayed with me through the years. At one point, we were back home for a while and I always wanted to teach. And I thought I needed to be more grown up before I taught. So I had a career. I had lots of exciting things traveling with my job even when we were living in other countries I was going to other countries with Mm -hmm. my job and then at some point in my middle 30s I moved home and I just wanted to teach I just thought I'm ready I've done enough now that I feel like I've got something to offer Mm -hmm. and so I then did a one-year teacher training and I taught secondary school English and again it meant that I got to share my love of literature with young people and I loved working with teenagers but unfortunately I was diagnosed with MS during that time and apparently Jeremy teenagers aren't ideal when you've got MS much as I loved them (laughs) so it didn't really work out for me as a long-term option and during the beginning of having MS I had a very long stint of bed rest Mm -hmm. and I moved from being a reader to a writer because I needed something to fill my days because Mm. everybody else was working, everybody else's lives were moving on Mm -hmm. and I was trapped in bed because I couldn't feel anything from my toes to my chest for quite a while. Um, So, yeah, I started writing and... I think the background of all the reading I had done is why words then just kept rattling around in my head and I started putting them down on paper, well, actually on my laptop.
0: (laughs) So tell me about Brody. What's the book about? So, Brody is the story
1: of six women over a 30 year period. It's um, told by an object. And I actually first had the idea for it during that very long period of bed rest because people would troop up to see me. Now, I had gone from being someone who was working and socialising and very active to over the course of a weekend, losing the feeling from my toes to my chest and ending up in hospital. And by the time I came back from hospital, I was on extended bed rest. So people didn't know what to do. They didn't Mm. know what to say. So they would come and visit and they would trip up the stairs and they would bring me flowers. So I had loads of flowers Mm -hmm. and they just would run out of conversation so quickly and they would go down to the kitchen and my husband would entertain them because that's what you do when people come to your house. Mm -hmm. So there was always a party going on in my kitchen, but I was upstairs. So I thought about the idea of what it would be like for a narrator who told stories where they only knew the beginning of the story because then the people went away and they had to figure it out. So that was my initial idea for having an object. And I didn't write it for many years, but I played with it in my head Mm -hmm. and I wrote short stories and I wrote poetry. And then at 1.5 years ago, I started writing Brodie or six years ago now, I think. And I tried over the years, I thought, what object changes hands? So I thought a book Mm because I love books. And then I thought, which book changes hands over like 30 years? And I thought of The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie. I'd been given it as a gift, I think, when I was about 15. In addition, I'd read it at school with my favourite English teacher and it just seemed like the perfect narrator. So that's what I did. I used The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie as an object to tell the story, but really it's just a stand-in for me. It's all the times that I felt that I could listen in because I was being wheeled around a hospital or I was sitting in a waiting room and nobody noticed necessarily that I could hear their conversations. I knew who was going out with who, what was going on at the weekend. So my book narrator does that. It's hidden in plain sight, telling the stories of these
0: six women. Wow, what a fascinating concept. And I love the fact that you've been able to create this brilliant book off the back of what must have been a devastating diagnosis and a very, very difficult period of your life.
1: Yeah, and I think that sometimes I think I'm a bit stupid because I don't have the sense of danger that I maybe should have. So I just, I've got a ridiculous Pollyanna approach that everything will be okay. Mm -hmm. And I have to say during my time with MS, that has been my approach. I've tried to find things that are positive out of it we may come on to talk about the fact that in the last couple of years I had a very different diagnosis and I have to say that all bets were off with it. So Mm -hmm. I didn't have the same um, ability to create work out of it, to create Mm -hmm. art with a very small A out of it. But Mm -hmm. I have done with my M.A. So I think it's given me time to think, it's given me time out of the very busy job I was doing. And so I just took it as goodness to use it for something and for creativity.
0: I think that's a wonderful message. I think it's really hopeful. I think it's really positive. I think it's really uplifting. And not everyone is able to write a book. You know, some people might turn to crocheting or pottery or knitting you know you just don't know what it is but I think it's wonderful that you've managed to to create this book and obviously it's inspired as you mentioned by The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie by Muriel Spark. Now I have to admit I have not read this book Um, so please tell me why you were inspired by this particular author and what it is that you love about this particular book.
1: So I love the works of Muriel Spark but my first introduction to her was through the Prime of Miss Jean Brodie. So other people might argue about what their favourite Spark book is and I could probably fight for about three of them (laughs) that are my favourites but really the Prime of Miss Jean Brodie was the way in which I came into contact with Muriel Spark and I was just enthralled. The, The protagonist is this enchanting Miss Jean Brodie who holds sway over her classroom and I as a child I was always very interested in teaching and education so I was just enthralled by this woman but the reality is there's loads of dark humor in the book because she holds sway in a way that is perhaps a bit inappropriate. Mm -hmm. She also has a set of six girls called the Brodie set and they have no team spirit which is really looked down upon by the school and they just do their own thing which was a bit anarchic and I liked it a lot and yeah the narrator so it's told third person but the narrator has got such a strong voice and has a wicked sense of humor which really appealed to me as a young person and I've read this book numerous times and it appeals to me each time and I've I find something else that just tickles me each time I read it.
0: I think that's amazing. That's what I love about books. Um, there are certain books that you can just do that, isn't there? That you just you pick it up and then sometimes it's the context of when you read it, where you're reading it, how you're reading it. And you just, it's so joyful when you when you think, oh, I didn't pick that up the first time. Yeah, and something I would say about
1: The Prime of Mystery and Brody, it was written or it was published certainly in 1961. So it's 62 years since it was published. And yet it is fresh and it's alive And the characters leap off the page at you. So there's something really special about literature that holds through time, I think. And it's set mainly in the 1930s. So again, it's almost 100 years Mm. back, and yet it feels so fresh. Mm -hmm. It's incredible, I couldn't say enough about it. But there are other books that um, by Muriel Spark like The Driver's Seat that is just an amazing work that you might want to start with it instead as somebody mm-hmm. who's not, you know, I think what appealed to me about The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie as a teenager was that there were teenage girls in it. Mm-hmm. But... It still appeals to me today.
0: Yeah, and well, that's that's good to know. Thank you for that. And I love the fact that you've called your your novel Brody, and it's about this book that's passed around to six people. And you mentioned the six characters from the Prime of Miss Jean Brody. What's the reception been for your book so far? Yeah, it's been
1: through a process. I started writing it, and actually, libraries are very important to me. So I would go to the library every day to write. Uh, but I was living in Wisconsin at the time, so it was the Nina Public Library, <laughs> and. I had early readers right from the beginning. I had a friend who was another transplant into Wisconsin and she would read chapters as I wrote them because she was an avid reader and was just really interested in these stories. But also I was doing it as part of a doctorate in creative writing. So my supervisors were seeing it and giving me feedback on it and other members of our cohort were. And people seemed, yeah, engaged by it. They liked the concept. People often loved the idea of the prime of Miss Jean Brody telling a story. Mm-hmm. But also I've noticed that there's six different women and they're at six different stages in life and six different things happen to them. And people identify with different ones of them, which mm-hmm. was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. That um the friend in Wisconsin, she particularly liked the second character and she's really excited to see Heather as the name of the second Actually, oh, Heather is the second <laughs> character. And yeah, she's so excited to read Heather in an, a published book, which is really nice, rather than me emailing her a chapter uh-huh. at a time.
0: Oh, brilliant. I can't wait to read it. I can't wait to read it. Tell me about your favourite book when you're growing up as a child.
1: So my favourite story, and it did come in a book, but it's a story, Mm -hmm. is The Selfish Giant by Oscar Wilde. And I still remember how the book looked. I'm quite a visual person. Mm -hmm. But it's just the most amazing story about a selfish giant Mm -hmm. who is off visiting a Cornish ogre. And in the meantime, children play in his garden. So he has the most beautiful garden because the plants and the flowers and the birds love the children being in the garden. Mm -hmm. And then he stomps home seven years later and is very angry about these children playing in his garden. So he screams at them and they run away and the garden becomes permanently winter. Mm. And the snow and the frost and the hail have a great time in this garden. And it's only when years later, the children sneak back through a hole in the wall and the garden becomes spring again. And the giant's heart is melted. And it's just such a beautiful story. And then he there's a little boy who can't make his way up into a tree. And the giant picks him up into the tree. And it's just a lovely story about kindness. Mm-hmm. So not only did it teach me about selfishness being bad and kindness being good, because a lot of Oscar Wilde's children's stories, fairy tales, are kind of moral tales but moral tales where bad things happen and the giant dies in the end and it's very sad Mm -hmm. but it's also hopeful because he died having found love in his life and so yeah from a little story I learned a lot, but also I learned that ogres could exist in my mind. And I learned that the hail could be personified and could mm-hmm. rain down on the roof three times a day because it was having fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, So I guess it just, it really fed my imagination. And i those are the kind of stories I love, stories that feed my imagination and, and make me think that things are possible, mm-hmm. not just that people who are selfish can become kind, but also that nature can become alive Mm -hmm. in a very real way.
0: Do you know, I had no idea that Oscar Wilde wrote children's books. Wow. He did. Yeah, he wrote
1: a lot of fairy stories. And of course, fairy stories often are very dark. Mm -hmm. And so there's a real dark sense in them. He really is teaching you that goodness is good and Mm -hmm. selfishness and cruelty are bad. Mm -hmm. But he does it in a really fantastical, magical way that for children is just really entertaining. And I think children like a wee bit of darkness and a wee Mm -hmm. bit of evil as long as it's overcome in the end.
0: That's amazing I'm actually I'm loving doing this podcast because A I get to meet so many interesting people like yourself but also there's so many books from my childhood that I've never read that I'm thinking gosh my TBR pile is is going to cause some serious injury to someone at some point. In terms of your favourite non-fiction book that you've read is there one whether it's a cookery book a poetry book a memoir you know A book about health and well-being, is is there one that that you've particularly enjoyed?
1: Yes, I would say that there's one that I give to friends, um, which is called Why We Revolt by Mm -hmm. somebody called Victor Mentori, who's a doctor in the States. So he's a professor of medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester in Minnesota. But he wrote a book of essays that are really about... Finding kindness and care in healthcare, mm-hmm. and really putting the care back into healthcare. And the way I found out about this book is because I had written an essay that was published in a journal called The Polyphony about my project that was looking at feeling like an object in the medical realm, as mm-hmm. I sometimes do. And Victor Montori actually subscribed to that journal, read it. And he got in touch with me over social media and asked for my address, which I thought was very dodgy. (laughs) <laughs> so I had to really Google him hard before I gave him my address in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. this man in Minnesota, and he sent me a copy of his book. Mm-hmm. And he said he was looking to create a revolution around the world that would bring kindness and care back into healthcare. Not that people intentionally don't have it there, but just the industrial nature of what can happen when people are so under time pressure and when measures are maybe not to do with care, but are to do with throughput of patients. Mm -hmm. So it's just a really interesting book, but it's very honest and it talks about his experience in healthcare and how he seeks to avoid cruelty and the very little things that can cause cruelty in terms of not enough time, Mm -hmm. not enough care, not enough eye contact.
0: That sounds really interesting and it's something that I've become acutely aware of um, as my parents become older and, you know, I think the world now is not set up with enough compassion, particularly in healthcare. I mean, even from the point of view, like for example, the doctor's surgery in my mum and dad's hometown is in Coatbridge and it has one of the worst records in terms of service, if you like. And, you know, you have to call at eight o'clock in the morning and you ha- you sit on the phone for an hour trying to get through you don't get through then you try the next day and the next day and the next day then you get an appointment then the person is rude doesn't make eye contact doesn't really listen Mm -hmm. to what you're saying and I've seen papers on the difference it takes even two or three minutes more for someone to listen and really mean it when they say how are you today Gillian
1: yeah and Victor Montori is great if you ever get to he does Mm -hmm. podcasts and if you ever get to listen to him The Patient Revolution is the name of his organisation and that breaks his heart it breaks his heart because he believes because he lives it out Mm -hmm. that it takes the same length of time to have kindness and care in the interaction Mm -hmm. he talks about the idea of blur where people just are a blur to you Mm -hmm. and it's the leg rather than the human being who's the person or the brain because you know because people are so busy but you yeah. he, he believes that we can reimagine healthcare the way in which it was mm-hmm. in the past mm-hmm. that we can bring kindness and care back into healthcare and that's exciting as a patient who I've got a disease in MS that's not going to go away mm-hmm. so it's degenerative it's lifelong so I really need the healthcare system to have care and kindness in it. Absolutely.
0: Now, there's a book that I featured in my Sunday Mail column, and I cannot for the life of me remember it. But I'm going to dig it out. I'm going to I'm going to send it to you because you. there's a doctor in Brighton, oh, a female doctor. Uh-huh. She's been featured in the Guardian, and that's what she does with her practice. And her practice is covered with art, and it's very sensory. It's very welcoming. It's very. It's just very relaxing and she follows his school of thought and she invests extra time and money and she's highly critical of the NHS as a result. But her practice is flourishing and thriving.
1: In the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, they have works of art that have been donated to them that are by very famous artists and they have a piano sitting there and healthcare folks whether they be clinical or receptionists who are musical, will just go and sit down and play the piano or patient. So there's always music
0: Amazing. and it
1: just lifts your spirit.
0: Amazing. Um, when we talk about healthcare, I know that obviously you've spoken quite openly about MS, MS and your diagnosis in 2017. Uh-huh. And in 2021, you were diagnosed with breast cancer.
1: Yep, that's correct.
0: How are you, how are you now?
1: Yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm seven months post-active treatment and i'm learning to be me again to be honest and uh, so i found a lump two years ago in july and everything happened very quickly i have to say people were wonderful i saw when it's something that serious i saw my gp very quickly they referred me very quickly i had an ultrasound and a biopsy very quickly i was diagnosed very quickly and i started chemotherapy in the september of 2021 and with my first chemotherapy, I had sepsis. Mm-hmm. So I found out exactly how difficult it is for people working in the NHS because I became unwell, very quickly spiked a temp. At that time, because of COVID, you weren't allowed to go to the Beats in if you had a temperature mm-hmm. in case you had COVID, mm-hmm. even though I just had an infusion of chemotherapy, they still couldn't take the risk. Mm-hmm. So I had to go through the normal practice of trying to get admitted into the Queen Elizabeth, Mm. which I think took eight and a half hours. And then when my bloods were taken, I had neutrophils, which is the thing that fight infection of 0.2, and a raging sepsis infection. So I ended up in isolation. Mm -hmm. People all gowned up, 24-7 antibiotics. So that was really frightening. So Mm. not only was there the fear of cancer, Mm -hmm. and a cancer that was an aggressive form of breast cancer, but also now I was in hospital with sepsis. And my pre-surgical chemo kind of went in that way where I think I had five emergency admissions because of chemotherapy-induced infection during that three-month period. So it was very, very frightening. So I have to say that I didn't do any reading. I had a TBR pile that I was going to Mm -hmm. have during chemo. I had it all set out. This was part of my planning, Mm -hmm. was here are the books I'm going to read and i took on my first infusion i took the first of those books with me and i read perhaps 3 pages if i was lucky mm-hmm. and it was just too frightening it was 8 hours worth of chemotherapy mm-hmm. and it yeah there there wasn't the mental space for reading And as a result, though, during that three months, if we stick on the book topic rather than the cancer topic, I discovered audiobooks because I needed a way to... Books are so important to me and I needed a way to access them. So right from being in the Queen Elizabeth in an isolation room, Mm -hmm. I downloaded Audible on my iPhone for the first time. Sorry, other phones are available. (laughs) And I started listening to books. And yeah, that got me through... it, and I'm still listening to audiobooks because I'm still not great you know two years almost on from Mm -hmm. that I'm still not great in terms of my concentration Mm -hmm. to read but yeah my clinical team were amazing I can't speak highly enough about the Beatson, about the folks at Garton Naval General where I had two surgeries and where I was diagnosed yeah people were amazing um But it's tough and it's tough for people going through it. And I never knew how to support people going through it because it's very hard. It's like no one knowing what to say when I was diagnosed with MS. Mm -hmm. People really don't know how to support people going through something like cancer and they try their very best. And I've always tried my very best. But yeah, it taught me just how important a kind word is. Getting in touch with someone out of the blue, sending a card out of the blue. It makes a huge difference to the person going through something that's hard work going through and frightening.
0: And the really lovely, kind, very generous, thoughtful thing that you're doing with your book is that proceeds are going to Beats and Cancer Charity.
1: That's correct. Whilst I was going through treatment, I thought, well, if Brody ever gets published, I want to give back. That's something that you become very aware of going through something, I think, and everybody's different, but for Mm. me, I had to face my mortality. Mm -hmm. And... I had to face, you know, what's my legacy? What am I doing for others? And with the amount of care that I received, I just wanted to give back. And this is one thing, you know, I'm not going to be able to climb a mountain anytime soon, but I got a publisher and my book was going to be published. And I thought, I know what I'm going to do. Give the proceeds to the beats. I'm
0: so moved. (laughs) That's so lovely of you. Well, it just feels like it
1: it feels very natural It doesn't feel anything. It just feels so natural to do it because those people, because how else do I say thank you? I don't know how else to say thank you. And that's one way
0: I can. And I get it. And I've seen, obviously, your tweets on social media and stuff like that. And that's what was drawn to me because I just thought, you know, that books are magical and they have such an amazing power to transform people's lives, don't they? So when you were, sorry. No. You've got me going now. When you're, when, can you remember? when you were, or I'm sure you probably want to forget going through all of the the chemo, but was there, you know, what book did you really find comfort in that was an audio one that you could maybe recommend to someone who perhaps is in a similar situation? Do you know, I heard a lot of brilliant books, but there, there was a series
1: that were just really great because they're very light and it's what I needed. So I, Listen to some just amazing works of literature, amazing, brilliant books. But actually, there's um, a series called the Bunbury series. The Bunbury? Yes, I, I kid you not. It's called the Bunbury <laughs> series, and it's by the writer Olga. And I really apologise if I pronounced her name incorrectly, Olga Wojtas. She also writes the Miss Blaine Prefect series. Okay. But um, yeah, so on Audible, I got the Bunbury series and it's basically um, set in a small village and it's, I guess, cozy crime. And it's just a lot of fun. And it was very easy to listen to. And chemotherapy for me meant, it really disrupted my sleep pattern. Like I could get two hours and then would be awake the most, maybe 90 minutes, actually, most of the time is all I was getting. So when the rest of, the world is asleep Mm. I was awake Mm -hmm. and so I was listening to my audiobooks at that time and it was just a really easy way to yeah it was they're a lot of fun yeah they're about murder but they're a lot of fun (laughs) so I would definitely and that's they're brilliantly written maybe you should read them at any time Uh but I think they're the ones that gave me most joy when I was going through chemotherapy
0: and how did you find them because it's quite that's quite you know Cozy crime? Like, yeah, it's not
1: something I'd ever read before, although I do love a TV series that's cozy oh, crime. yeah, yeah, will
0: be two Midsummer Murders. Yeah, give me <laughs> Midsummer's Murders.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah <laughs> any of that I love. Um, and actually, I had read one of the. So, Olga, Olga, I'm sorry for the pronunciation, she is a writer that I'd already come across because I'd read the first of her Miss Blaine Prefect books mm-hmm. and I was interested in that because actually she's um, leaning into Muriel Spark in that the idea of so the the school in The Prime of Brody Brodie is the Marcia Blaine School for Girls mm-hmm. so Olga's protagonist is somebody who'd been a prefect at that school uh-huh. as though it were a real school. And she goes off and solves historical crime, which is really interesting. And yeah, so I already knew of the writer. And then I discovered that she had written this series of under a different name. She writes them under the name Helena Marchment. So I discovered this. And I think partly because Olga said, if you're looking for books to read, I can send you my book. And I said, well, actually, I've read your book. Thank you. And I said, but have you got anything that I can listen to? Uh And then she recommended, well, she told me about her Bunbury series. And I think there's maybe about 10 or 11 or 12. There's a number of them and they're brilliant.
0: Okay, super. Thank you so much for that recommendation. So just tell us again, where can we buy Brody? What's the dream for Brody, And what's next
1: for you? So, Brody at the moment is available on pre order through my brilliant publishers website. So, Brody is published by Into Books, which is part of Into Creative. And currently, it's pre orders on there. We're having a book launch at Oran Moore on the 7th of September, uh, which is very exciting. And we've got some really exciting musical people as well because what I decided was that if we're going to have a book launch we're going to have people together why not do it as a fundraiser for the Beatson so it's actually just turned into mainly a fundraiser for the Beatson <laughs> with a wee bit of brody but yeah. yeah so we've got a couple of the folks from the Blue Bells are playing oh, great. and we have an amazing singer songwriter called matt hickman whose singer songwriter name is brown bear mm-hmm. who's also mm-hmm. playing so yeah it's going to be a brilliant night all the tickets are sold out already which Amazing. seems ridiculous i think we've got 170 people coming Great. Which, but it's really it's about celebrating the beats and for me that's how i'm um, looking at it so yeah people can buy the book then and i will sign it You'll sign it Great. yes and um and then, I'm not sure, I should know the answer to that question, but I guess, <laughs> I know it's going to be in Waterson's and there's going to be a wee display of it, I think on the one on Byers Road, but I'm sure it'll be, oh, it's audiobook. I, I read the audiobook myself. I was just myself. about
0: to ask you yes. who read the audio. I did,
1: and do you know, I did it, I had said to my publisher how important to me, to so Stephen Cameron's my publisher, I'd said how important audiobooks were to me, mm-hmm. and he said, well, why don't you read it yourself? And I did. And I loved the process. I have to say, if anybody's looking for somebody to read their audiobook, I thoroughly enjoyed doing it. And so it'll be available too, and it'll be available in ebook as well. Amazing. But the details would come from Stephen Cameron into books.
0: Love it. Gillian, thank you so much. Oh
1: no, it's been brilliant. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you very much for having me. It's
0: been an absolute pleasure, and I wish you health and lots of success with Brody. Thank you so much for listening. New episodes in our library feature every Thursday. And if you'd like to contact me, please email Heather at thebookalchemist.com.